Uh, well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you uh, at church. Uh, it'll be good if you can have uh, 2 Timothy open uh, in front of you. And uh, if you are joining us for the first time this morning, lovely to have you uh, along. And uh, I hope that uh, you can get to meet uh, many of us and get to know some of us and that uh, you'll keep on coming along and uh, uh, reading the Bible together with us. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll get stuck into uh, this part of the Bible. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is indeed wonderful, and uh, we pray that as we hear your word this morning, that uh, you would help uh, our soul to keep them and treasure them uh, and take them to heart and live in obedience to them. Uh, We thank you that your word gives us light, and so we pray that uh, today as we hear your word, that you would uh, shine that light into our hearts, uh, that you would give understanding to the simple, and that we would uh, see even more clearly um, the Lord Jesus Christ, whom these words point to, and that we might live our lives uh, for his glory and his honour. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, friends, uh, in the National Portrait Gallery in London hangs this portrait of William Tyndale. Uh, Tyndale, of course, uh, as has been mentioned, was the man who gave us our English Bible. Uh, He was a, a giant of the 16th century Reformation in England, And uh, even if you haven't heard very much about William Tyndale, uh, if you are here and you speak the English language, then you have been influenced by him in some way or other. Uh, For William Tyndale has influenced the English language more than perhaps any other person in history. Uh, Phrases like, let there be light, Lead us not into temptation, which we prayed. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. In the twinkling of an eye, seek, and you shall find. Judge not that you shall not be judged. Am I my brother's keeper? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Fight the good fight. Uh, All these phrases have actually come to us from the pen of William Tyndale. However, uh, not much is known about the personal life of Tyndale. Uh, We know, for example, that he was probably born around uh, 1494 in Gloucestershire, England, uh, which is uh, right near the the Welsh border. We know that he was a gifted linguist who spoke seven languages fluently. I mean, imagine that. We know that he was educated at Oxford as well as Cambridge universities where he came into contact with Reformation ideas. Uh, We know that his translation work was done whilst in hiding uh, on the European continent where he translated the New Testament and the Old Testament into English so that he could smuggle it into England. But we don't know a great deal more about the man himself and what he was like. Uh, In fact, uh, this portrait uh, that was uh, just up a minute ago is unlikely to be a real portrait of Tyndale. Uh, It's highly unlikely, I think, that uh, a man who is living in hiding uh, because his life is under threat by the Roman Catholic authorities 
would suddenly find time to pose for a portrait and uh, make his uh, identity and, and his appearance known. But in one sense, if we can have the portrait up one, one more time, uh, this portrait is an accurate portrayal of Tyndale. For if you look carefully, you'll see that Tyndale has his right hand pointing away from himself towards the Bible. Uh, here is a man whose life's mission was to translate the Bible into the ordinary language of the English people so that the English-speaking world might see the light of the gospel. Uh, one contemporary of William Tyndale wrote these words about him. Uh, he says, I find him always singing one note. I, I always see him singing one note. You see, uh, William Tyndale's life was about the Bible. Uh, this was the one note that he sang. This was his singular passion in life. And so this morning, uh, we're going to actually spend some time thinking about what God has to teach us about this book that William Tyndale loved so much. Uh, I'm going to use uh, William Tyndale's life as, as an illustration of some of the things that God says. But our aim this morning is to actually see what God says about this book, the Bible, and about its nature, and about why we should be reading this book for ourselves. Well, why should we read this book? Well, uh, if you have a look at our passage this morning from 2 Timothy 3, it's because of who has written this book. Who has written this book? Uh, in chapter 3, verse 16, you can see there that Paul says to his young protege, Timothy, that all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. Uh, you see, when you speak, you breathe out your words, don't you? Uh, it's very hard to speak while breathing in. Uh, I mean, you might want to try it, but it's very hard to do. Uh, when you breathe out, uh, that's when you breathe out your words. And so what this is saying is that in the scriptures, God breathes out his very word to us. You see, God is a speaking God, and he speaks to us through the scripture, such that what the scripture says, God says. And so, uh, if the scriptures, or the Bible, uh, is God-breathed, then it's hard to imagine there being any higher authority than the Bible to teach you about God. What he is like. What he has done for us. What promises he makes to us. What his plans for the world and for you and me are. For it's true, isn't it, that the authority of any piece of writing is determined by the author of that writing. Uh, the other day I stumbled across this book. Uh, it's the New South Wales Road Users Handbook. Uh, it's written by the New South Wales government. Uh, has anyone studied this book before? Has anyone studied it and failed their driving exam? A uh, number of us, I have. Um, you see, this is the highest authority in telling me how to drive on the road, uh, higher than any other authority, isn't it? Uh, I mean, if I'm in confusion about a road rule, uh, I could go to other sources, 
Uh, I could go to my friends or uh, my neighbours or uh, even my children, and they might tell me what the road rules are. But they may or may not give me the right answer. But if I want to know the definitive answer, well, this is the place to go because of who has authored it, isn't it? Likewise, the Bible is God-breathed, and because it is God-breathed, there can be no higher authority than the Bible to teach you and me about God. However, I want to suggest that this is not actually what the Roman Catholic Church taught in William Tyndale's day. For the Roman Catholic Church believed and still continues to believe that it is not only the Bible which is the highest authoritative source about the knowledge of God, but also the church and its traditions, including the teaching of the Pope and the bishops and the priests and so forth. Uh, In fact, in practice, the Roman Catholic Church believed that the church and the traditions of the church were actually an even higher authority than the Bible because it was actually the, the church and the popes and the bishops and the teachers who had the task of interpreting the Bible for you. And so they stood above the Bible. Uh, Now, friends, uh, this is why during the time of William Tyndale, uh, the Roman Catholic Church in England banned the translation of the Bible, which uh, uh, at this time, as Luke pointed out, was only available in the Latin language. Uh, It was because the Roman Catholic Church feared that if people started to read the Bible for themselves then they might actually start to revolt against the church and against its authorities, like the Pope. In fact, uh, this was precisely what was happening in Germany as Martin Luther translated the Bible into the common language of the German people and as the people of Germany started to read their Bibles and see that what the Bible taught was actually different to what the church taught. And so there was a massive uprising. But against this backdrop, it's clear that Tyndale believed that ultimate authority lay not uh, with the church and her traditions, but the Bible as God's spoken word. And he was willing to defy the church authorities and even the Pope himself at significant risk to his own life so that he could translate the Bible from, uh, from the original languages into English for the ordinary person. He wanted to give the ordinary people of England the life-giving word of God spoken in the Bible. Uh, there's a well-known quote by Tyndale. Uh, the story goes that while Tyndale was working uh, as a tutor uh, in Gloucestershire, to the children of a wealthy family. Uh, He often had dinner with uh, various important people. And uh, during one of these dinners, uh, a clergyman expressed the view that England would actually be better off without God's laws uh, than the popes. That England would be better off without God's law than the popes. Uh, He was expressing the view that the pope was an even greater authority than what God says. And uh, Tyndale replied in his now famous words, uh, these words. He says, uh, I defy the Pope and all his laws. 
If God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plough shall know more of the scriptures than thou dost. You see, this was Tyndale's life's quest to translate the Bible into the common English of the people so that the ploughboy on the farm or the field will be able to know more of the Bible than the clergyman or the minister or the priest. But friends, I want you to see that behind this lay the conviction that it was actually the Bible and not the church or the teachers of the church that was the authoritative word of God. And so, friends, uh, why read the Bible? Well, it's because God wrote it. God is the ultimate author of the Bible. It is he who breathed this word out, such that what the Bible says, God says. And if God has written the Bible, then there is no higher authority that you can go to if you want to know God and his ways. Uh, Now, uh, friends, I I think uh, we need to be careful to suggest that It's not as though other authorities are not important to us in knowing God. Uh, I'm sure that many of us have been helped by parents, perhaps, or uh, ministers or scholars in helping us to know God as they've pointed us to the Bible. Is that true for us? But I just want to point out that all these people are finite and sinful people who can get it wrong. And so if these people tell us contrary to what we see for ourselves in God's word, then are we willing to go with what God says rather than what people might tell us? Sometimes to believe that the Bible is God-breathed means that we need to make painful decisions to go against, perhaps, what our parents are telling us or what our teachers are teaching us or to give up long cherished traditions or to go against the things that we simply feel to be right because actually God is telling us that it's wrong Uh, are we people who believe in our heart that when we read the Bible or when the Bible is faithfully preached to us We are hearing God speaking to us. And so we are willing to be ruled and and, uh, ruled and overseen by what the Bible has to say. Uh, Why should we read the Bible for ourselves? Well, uh, firstly, it's because it is God-breathed. But the second reason that you see there is that it is because it teaches us about salvation. Uh, You can see it there in chapter 3, verse 15. Uh, Have a look with me at chapter 3, verse 15. Paul speaks to Timothy there about the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. Uh, Now, the sacred writings there uh, is talking about the Old Testament. Uh, It's actually a different word to the word for Scripture used in verse 16, which uh, I think is talking about Scripture as a whole, uh, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. But what Paul is saying here is that the Old Testament can make us wise for salvation. However, notice that salvation has to do with Christ Jesus. In fact, the whole Old Testament 
points forward to Jesus and is meant to lead us to Jesus, our Saviour, so that we might put our faith in him and receive salvation from him. You see, the way we read the Bible is through the lens of the gospel of Jesus, which is what the Bible is all about. Uh, But here's the point. Notice that the sacred writings are to be read for understanding. Uh, Paul says that they are able to make you wise for salvation. Uh, You see, it is only as we read this book and come to understand what it teaches us about Jesus and salvation. And as we put our faith in him, that we come to find salvation in him. And here is where William Tyndale has done us a great service. For we've already seen that the Bible for many centuries was a book that was not meant to be understood. It was not read for understanding. Uh, The Bible of Tyndale's time was written in Latin and full of errors. And so Tyndale knew that this was actually blocking people from accessing salvation. In his writing, he says that the Bible, or preaching the Bible in a language that no one understands, is a bit like preaching to a pig or a swine. Uh, Listen to what Tyndale says. He says these words. Can you see that? He says, it is truly as good to preach, preach it to swine as to men. If you preach it in a tongue, they understand not. How shall I prepare myself to God's commandments? How shall I be thankful to Christ for his kindness? How shall I believe the truth and promises which God has sworn while you tell them unto me in a tongue which I do not understand or a language that I do not understand? And so... Uh, Tyndale sets about the work of translating the New Testament into English. Uh, He couldn't actually do it in England because he was denied permission by the Roman Catholic bishop, Cuthbert Tunstall, whose picture you see behind me. And so what he does is he travels to Germany uh, and later on to Belgium to do his translation work whilst hiding from the authorities in some of the large cities. Uh, It's worthwhile pointing out also that Tyndale was not actually translating from the Latin Bible of the day into English, but he was using the original languages um, of Greek uh, and Hebrew to translate uh, over into the English language. But the thing to note here is that Tyndale was a master at translating in a way that was understandable. Uh, he translated into the common language of the people rather than more, more complicated language. Remember, he's, he's writing for the ploughboy as well as for the scholar. And so, as best he could, he chose simpler, one-syllable words over more complicated words. I mean, think about the phrase, let there be light. They're, they're one-syllable words that are very easy to understand, isn't it? Rather than using complicated words. Further, he corrected many of the words in the Latin Bible that were in error or carried unhelpful theological baggage. Words like church, he replaced with congregation. Words like priest, he replaced with elder. 
Words like doing penance, he replaced with the word repentance. Uh, One of Tyndale's biographers, Stephen Lawson, says, Tyndale's real genius lay in discovering the simplest English form to convey the profoundest English expressions. Uh, Now, it seems that Tyndale was uh, determined to get the translations right, for he kept on working to improve the translations that he had made. Uh, In 1526, uh, Tyndale finishes his first edition of the New Testament uh, in the city of Worms in Germany. Uh, These are printed in that city and then uh, smuggled into England in bales of cloth on merchant ships and then uh, it's distributed in, in secret in England. Uh, eight years later, in 1534, Tyndale makes 4,000 corrections to his original work and prints the second edition of the New Testament in Antwerp, Belgium. And in 1535, Tyndale makes his third edition of the New Testament before he proceeds to teach himself Hebrew so that he can start translating the Old Testament from the Hebrew into English. But it is also in 1535 that Tyndale is arrested and he is put in prison in a castle just outside of Brussels in Belgium. Friends, uh, how do you and I read our Bibles? Uh, Do we read it in order to understand what we are reading? You see, there is no virtue in simply reading without understanding. Just reading the Bible without understanding will not get you and me closer to God. Just reading it uh, out of rote will have no spiritual benefit for you. I once went to a church where they encouraged people to uh, spend a whole week just reading the Bible. It doesn't matter if you understand it or not, just read it. And that will benefit you. But no, it is the one who reads and understands who is made wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. If you are in the habit of reading the Bible and do not understand the things that you are reading, then will you find ways to read it in a way that will aid your understanding? Perhaps speak to a friend so that you can read it together and help one another. Uh, to understand what you're reading. Uh, perhaps you can uh, do a PTC course that we run here uh, every, every year to grow in your understanding. Uh, but, but take steps, do something so that you will be helped in your understanding of the Bible. For it is a word that is to be read in order to understand. And so uh, why read the Bible? Well, firstly because of the one who wrote it, Uh, Secondly, because it makes us wise for salvation. And finally, because it is profitable to transform us in godly living. It is profitable to transform us in godly living. Uh, You can see it there in verse 16. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Uh, You see, the Bible is profitable for teaching. There is 
vitally important information in this book that needs to be taught and understood, as we've just seen. This is how people are saved as the Bible is taught and as people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as I read the Bible, I'm also subject to reproof and rebuke. Uh, The Bible keeps on showing me and convicting me of my sin and where I am going wrong in my life. However, it's not that the Bible is simply a, a negative book that keeps on pointing out all the wrong things that I do, like a grumpy parent in the morning to her children. But it also shows me the positive way to go. It it corrects me and and puts me back on on the right track. And further, it trains me in righteousness. That's the language of a loving parent or a tutor or a coach. It disciplines me and helps me to grow in righteousness. Why? Well, it's so that I would be fully equipped to do the good works that God has planned in advance for me to do. You see, the Bible is God's book that is to be read not just for information, but for transformation in our lives. Uh, This week I went to my tax accountant to get my tax return done. And uh, my tax uh, accountant um, sat across the, the desk from me And uh, she encouraged me to take a tax deduction that I knew I wasn't entitled to. Uh, I've got to tell you, I was very, very tempted (laughs) to do it. Because, well, no one would ever know. And uh, it was a substantial deduction, so that I could have actually spent, uh, saved myself a lot of money. But you see, uh, I've been taught by God's word recently, as I've read my Bible, to put away falsehood in the letter to the Ephesians. And so I was rebuked because I was this close to actually cheating the tax system for my own gain. But further, I've been taught in the Bible to speak the truth to my neighbour. And so I was corrected And I had this long conversation with my tax accountant about why I shouldn't be taking this tax deduction in the way that she was telling me to take the tax deduction. And as I keep on reading my Bible and telling the truth, I'll be trained in the way of righteousness so that I can be God's person. I don't always get it right, but I got it right this week, which is why I'm telling you. But, you see, this is the way it works. Uh, Now, friends, I have no doubt that William Tyndale read his Bible not only to translate it for others, but for his own transformation. Uh, We've already seen in 1535, William Tyndale uh, was arrested in Belgium, and he was imprisoned for 450 days. Uh, He was actually betrayed into the hands of the Roman Catholic authorities through an Englishman by the name of Harry Phillips, Uh, Harry Phillips was was a man with a big gambling debt and uh, the Roman Catholic Church actually uh, paid him a lot of money uh, to pay off that debt uh, and uh, asked him to go to the European continent to find Tyndale uh, to betray him. However, 
While Tyndale spent 450 days in this cold and dark and damp prison, he became ill and asked for a number of items to be delivered to him. Uh, He asked for some warmer items of clothing because it was getting cold. He asked for a lamp so that he could read. And he asked for a Hebrew Bible together with a Hebrew dictionary and a, a Hebrew textbook. Um, it's difficult to know what Tyndale wanted to do with the Hebrew Bible. Uh, Perhaps he wanted to continue doing his translation work of the Old Testament. Perhaps he also wanted to keep reading his Bible so that up until his dying day, he could be taught by what God had to say and so that he could be transformed in his life. Uh, Listen to what the early biographer John Fox has to say about Tyndale while he was in prison. Uh, These are the words he says. Such was the power of his doctrine and the sincerity of his life that during the time of his imprisonment, which endured a year and a half, it is said he converted his keeper, the keeper's daughter, and others of his household. Also the rest that were with Tyndale, conversant in the castle, reported of him that if he were not a good Christian man, They could not tell whom to trust. Uh, Friends, he was a man who had been taught, rebuked, corrected, and trained in righteousness by the scriptures so that he could be fully equipped to live his life in godliness and in good works that God had prepared in advance for him to do. Uh, In August 1536, William Tyndale was put on trial for heresy Uh, He was found guilty and condemned to death. A few months later, he was tied to a stake and strangled with a chain around his neck before being burned up in the flames. As he died, he prayed to God these memorable words. He prayed, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Uh, Three years later, Providentially, God answers Tyndale's prayers as the King of England approves, for the first time, the printing of an English translation of the Bible, which was placed in every church in England. The ploughboy finally had his Bible. This translation that was placed in the churches was largely the work of William Tyndale, and his work continues to influence Bible translations, including the ESV Bible that uh, I know many of us use at this church. Uh, What do we make of all this? Well, uh, William Tyndale was a man who believed the Bible. Uh, He believed that this book is God-breathed. He believed that it is powerfully able to make us wise for salvation. He believed that this was a book that can transform us so that we can be fully equipped to live a life of godliness. And so he gave his life to the diligent study of this book, not only for himself, but so that he could give this kind of life to others around him. But what about us? Uh, Well, friends, uh, you might be here this morning, and you are not a Christian person. And uh, you've seen, perhaps for the first time, that the Bible is a book about salvation. 
It's not primarily a book of rules, but it's a book that shows us how to find salvation by faith in Christ Jesus. And so you may be thinking to yourself, well, perhaps you need to find out more. Perhaps you need to wise up and see how I can find this salvation. And you need to read this book to find out more about Jesus and how you can find salvation through him. And so if that's you, uh, let me encourage you to speak to someone today. Uh, Speak to the person who brought you here or speak to Luke uh, or one of the other student ministers. I'm sure they would love to be able to help um, you read the Bible and understand its message for yourself. But for the rest of us, I suspect that many of us will be feeling a pang of guilt. Uh, Perhaps our Bible reading has fallen by the wayside. Perhaps, uh, despite the efforts of people like William Tyndale, we've been reading the Bible, but just going through the motions, uh, not really reading to understand. Well, if that's you, then I hope that you'll do something about that this morning. Uh, You've been taught by the Scriptures. (laughs) Uh, You've been rebuked by the Scriptures. And the scriptures will correct you and will train you so that you can get back on track and so that you can read God's word in all its glory for yourself. And so let the scriptures do that for you and let me encourage you to keep on reading. Perhaps a good place to start is by reading Genesis. If you have your outlines there, I've given you a Um, A a short insert there uh, about our next series, which is going to be on uh, the book of Genesis from uh, chapter 36 to chapter 50. Um, We're going to be looking at the life of Joseph uh, in those chapters. And so why not start there and read the Bible for yourself so that you can gain wisdom and be transformed to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, I'm going to pray a prayer that comes straight out of uh, the prayer book. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant us so to hear them, read, mark, learn and inwardly digest them that encouraged and supported by your holy word, we may embrace and always hold fast the joyful hope of everlasting life, which you have given us in our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.